and welcome to this edition of the He Doesn't Waste a Thing podcast. I'm Melissa Zimmerman, and I am happy that you decided to give our podcast a listen today. Uh, hopefully, you're a returning podcast listener, but if you're the if this is your first time, we just want to say thank you so much. Um, today, my guest on the podcast is um, an amazing lady that I met oh, a, couple, a month or so ago, and she just had such a beautiful God story that I wanted her to be able to share it with everyone. Uh, Amber Sitton is my guest today, and uh, she is in the process of getting her uh, biblical counseling certifi- uh, certificate, which is a wonderful thing, and her area of calling and, um, and kind of her area of experience is in domestic violence. And so I wanted her to come on the show today and just let's have a conversation about what that looks like. Uh, Maybe you know someone who has been a victim of domestic violence, is currently a victim of domestic violence. Maybe you yourself are a victim or have been a victim of domestic violence. And so Amber's been brave enough to share some of her story with us today. And uh, so I think hopefully uh, you'll find this helpful and inspiring and God has done a wonderful thing in her life. So welcome, Amber. Hi. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm glad you, uh, you're you joining us. You know, uh, my podcast is called He Doesn't Waste a Thing. Right. And so, um, you know, I believe that to be true, that God uses all of the events in our life. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about yours, but I always like to start my podcast out with a little bit of this or that that kind of helps us get to know you. Okay. 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 And so just... Just what do you prefer, right? Do you prefer sweet or salty crunchy? I like both, actually. <laughs> I like to mix them together. Sometimes I might like a little ice cream with a little bit of fries every now and then. So okay. I'm a sweet, salty girl. That's awesome. Um, do you prefer dogs or cats? Well, I actually like both. I have both. Um, I have the sweetest cat, and I have the most gigantic white lab, and he jumps, and he's the most loving thing, so I think we love all animals. All animals. There's not a preference then. Right. Are you city or country? I'm country. I grew up in the country. Um, I have a lot of city in me, but um, the the roots are coming back out as I get a little bit older. (laughs) All right. Would you prefer Finland or the Bahamas? I think I prefer Finland. I am used to be a flight attendant, and I really enjoy flying, and those are places I've never been that I've always wanted to go one day. All right. And do you prefer um, staying in or going out? I like a little bit of both. I guess I'm just in the middle <laughs> of a line girl here. Um, going out is uh, important because it's important to be social and to interact with people, but there are some times that I just enjoy staying in and you know, doing Netflix and nothing, or not Netflix, but any of the, um, like Amazons or any of those things, just chilling out. Awesome. So you're a mom. I am a mom. Yes. And you're married. I am married. And, um, and so you, let's just kind of dive into your life experience. Tell us a little bit about your life growing up. Um, you know, just, you, you were just a regular girl. I was just a regular girl. I actually grew up in Norman, Oklahoma, and so I grew up in the country, and I was adopted when I was nine months old, and I was so blessed by the Lord for being adopted because I've always known how much He really loved me and how much He placed me exactly where I was supposed to be. So, That's a wonderful thing. Tell us about how you became a Christ follower. I became a Christ follower when I was in my teenage years. Um, I used to go to Falls Creek, and I would learn about the Lord. I just didn't get 
everything in my church that I needed because there wasn't very many kids in my church. And so it was kind of a struggle, but I always knew that I loved the Lord and I always knew that he loved me. I just didn't truly understand it till I got a little older. Okay. And so um, ta- let's dive into this uh, whole thing that kind of uh, brought you here today. And that's just your experience with domestic violence. How did that, um, how did you uh, meet uh, the person who struggled with anger and that you got caught up in? And what did that look like? Um, with um, my uh, my daughter's uh, biological dad, uh, we met, I believe, through MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day. Good old MySpace. Um, and uh, we started talking, um, and then we eventually met, and uh, then we decided one day, like, I don't remember, it was a pretty short period of time, eight or nine months into it, that we were going to go ahead and, and get married. And yes, in the back of my mind, I knew that there was something that was a red flag that I probably shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. And so I was about 27 when, yeah. when I got married. So it wasn't like you were, you know, a young teen, no. uh, anything like that. Had you been in any kind of abusive relationship prior to that? I was. When I was a teenager, my first real relationship started in eighth grade, and it lasted all the way through my senior year in high school. Most of it was on. There was little bits of period of time that were off. Um, he was very mentally abusive um he even did hit me um even once and did a couple things like that they were never consistent but the anger and the control were always there so when you were in the early the relationship in your teens was it something that you talked to people about did you hide it what what was that like for you it was really difficult especially because it was my very first real relationship i'd ever had um my friends would see it a lot. They would see the fights. They would see the arguments and things like that. And so I never really talked about them. It was, we never really talked about it. I think that they maybe tried to talk to me a couple of times and say things like, you know, he wasn't very nice or just, you know, things like that. Like, But it really just wasn't ever talked about. It was that everybody was kind of wrapped up in their own relationships. And so we all just you know, we just thought this was kind of what life was. Mm-hmm. Did your did your parents, were they, um, did they model that kind of behavior in your home? No, my dad was an alcoholic growing up. Um, bless his heart. He, um, he just never could quite understand the love of the Lord. And that I think he, before he passed away, he passed away when I was 25. He did accept Christ as his savior and but life just was unhappy for him. And my mom, she's a beautiful blessing, a beautiful person. And they were actually married for 25 years. Just my dad could not step out, but my dad was not abusive to my mom in a physical or even a a mental way, um, except for maybe when he was drinking and sometimes he would just say things and he would, there would be a lot of yelling. Okay. And so then you left the relationship with, with your high school sweetheart. I did. And you moved on, and then you met the guy who would become uh, your husband, who would be your abuser. Talk about what that initial part of that relationship looked like. The initial part was, I mean, it, was, it wasn't too bad. It was that, you know, he, he had a really big heart, and he really cared about me. He, um, you know, he just, he, he also ended up drinking. And then when he would drink, um, these things happen where, um, 
I, I don't know, it's, it's where spiritual warfare comes into play where he was having problems with um, demonic type activities and not really activities, but in his attitude and things like that. And um, I actually, you know, had it, I had a, another relationship after this one where he was much worse than this one. This one just needed to know and understand that he was really loved and he couldn't let go of the past. Yeah. And so, so you, it wasn't, it wasn't just a relationship in high school that was abusive. For right. you, this was sort of a pattern. It was a very big pattern in my life, yes. And so um, then you moved on. I did. And what happened next? Satan and his tricks. He <laughs> popped in my life. Um, when I was in my um, first marriage with uh, my, my first husband, um, we separated. And when we separated, I was at the end of my rope. Um, because I just felt lost. I felt like I was in a black hole and I started going to counseling. And when I went to counseling, that's when the Lord grabbed a hold of me and he took me under his wing and he helped me and he grew me in so many ways. And I started doing classes and growing and learning and he transformed me from the inside clean to the outside of me where I even was able to lose 40 pounds, which was not even in the, in the works. And when I stepped out of when I had peace about stepping out of my marriage and I, this other um, guy came in and, and he was someone that I knew from when I was younger in high school, um, Satan just kind of just slipped him right in. And mm -hmm. at the, I was at the top with the Lord and I, I truly desired to follow him and to do things his way and Satan and his tricks stepped in and had a different plan for that. Okay, and so then what happened? So I got into this relationship and everything felt like it started spiraling out of control. Um, there was a couple of instances of red flags of control that I kind of swept under the rug. And, um, you know, I just didn't know what to do. And then the next thing I know, just a few months after I ended up being pregnant, I got pressured into the fact of doing stuff because I really didn't want to not do what the Lord didn't want me to do and I wanted to follow his ways and I ended up being pregnant and then I decided with him that we would go and we would elope and we would go get uh, married uh, because I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And what would follow after you're married after you got married? Everything broke right after that. Um, all these things started coming out. He, he started saying things like these people were after him and that they needed something that he had created and he started telling me I wasn't going to put him in a box every time that he would leave the house. Um, he had a really good smoke screen for the first couple of months and then his smoke screen of everything started falling where he no longer had a job anymore. I owned my own house and I owned rental properties and he was claiming acting like he was working for me even though he didn't have a job and I bought him a truck um, with my inheritance and just things along that line and he just was using it to try to build up in his mind of a, a dream I guess that he had but he didn't really he just was very controlling and very manipulative and very narcissistic and so um, as you progressed in that relationship um, it, it really did, it spiraled even 
way, way worse than that, right? It did. Um, it didn't take me very long um, to reach a point where I knew that this is not where I wanted to be, and I did not want my, my girls. My girls at that time were two and three, and I did not want them to be a part of it, um, I, and I needed to get out. And there was a lot of nights when I would go through this that I would cry out to the Lord not knowing how I was going to get out. It it was, I was becoming a person I didn't even know who I was anymore. I felt like I was the one that was crazy. I felt like I was the one that did things wrong. I felt like I, I was told I was lazy all the time. I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't a good mom, and I didn't do anything right. And after a while, it really starts almost like it's they're beating it in your head, so to speak, even though it's words. Words can cut us into like a sharp knife. Sure. Was there physical abuse involved? There was a little. There was an uh, there was an argument that took place one evening where um, he grabbed my cell phone from me and went and to throw it into a pond because um, he knew the police were going to come because the alarm was going off on the house and he shoved me over in the garage and I probably was about seven months pregnant six or seven months pregnant at the time when he did that and he tackled me to the ground that night as well um never hit me dead on but had I stayed longer it was definitely progressing very quickly that that's what would have taken place were there ever times when you felt like there was no way out there was uh, I can remember one in specific one night where I just cried out to the Lord and I told him I was so sorry for what I had done and how I got myself in this situation to please protect me, please protect my daughters and, and this baby that's in me. And please, because I didn't know how I was going to, I didn't even know how the Lord could even provide a way out. I just felt helpless again. I felt like I had made my bed and I had to stay there. And I think that's one of the biggest lies that a lot of women believe is that I just, well, this was my choice. This was my decision. And so I just have to live with the decisions that I've made. And yes. I think we, you know, one of Satan's biggest lies is that there's no way out. That's right. And that nobody would believe you. Right. You know, there all of those things happen uh, that Satan uses to keep us bound into the place. And our abuser also leaves, you know, uses those same manipulations to keep us. You can't make it without me. Right. You know, you have to have me. Mm -hmm. You know, any of those. So what are some things like that that you experienced? Um, I was very blessed in one way that. I had my inheritance to be able to help me through this um, because had I not, he could have had complete control over me, over the fact of money, over anything, you know, that we did. Um, it just, it, it's just that um, once I saw a clear picture of who he was, I knew I had to leave. And um, I, one night when he was sleeping, um, after he had gone out and lied about where he had gone and he had taken, he had convinced me to buy a new car when I knew I shouldn't. And he had taken the car, taken my, my ATM card and gone out for the night. When I found him the next day, which was like a needle in the haystack. So thank you, Lord, because I know that was him blessing me and guiding my way. Um, I took the girls and we went and stayed at my mom's and he actually called the police and said that I was missing. He got on my Facebook page and he said that I was a threat to our girls, which these were my girls with my ex-husband, not with him. Mm -hmm. And that if anyone had knew where I was to please contact the police department. And he actually put the phone number on there. 
and he knew exactly where I was. And I wasn't very far away from the house because my mom lived very near me then. Mm -hmm. And so um, you were able to get out. But but even after you left, it didn't stop. No. this To me, it's almost like this is the beginning of a story. Um, I got a VPO against him, which a lot of people told me was very hard um, because he started doing things and the way he was acting was so crazy. I was literally terrified for my life. And I got the VPO, thank you, Lord, because lots of people said that if he didn't physically abuse me all the time or I didn't feel like my life was in danger, I probably couldn't get it. Mm -hmm. And so I had gone the next day after staying with my mom to get the VPO. And when they went to go serve it to him, he had barricaded himself inside my house. He had taken boards and screwed them in on every window, every door, everything. He had a crowbar, a tire iron, and a baseball bat in the back of the pickup truck that I had bought in the driveway along with some clothes because he was just about to leave. And so when the police and fire department, everyone came to get him, he had to unscrew the screws just to let him and they came and they removed him from the house. And your problem, that wasn't the end of the story. No, <laughs> sadly it's not. Um, he harassed the police department. He would call the police department daily and have them come to the house. And I didn't stay there for a couple of weeks because I was terrified too. Sure. I would go the second week. I started going during the days just a little bit. And the police would come and bless their hearts. All but one were would, would just show me so much grace. They were like, you don't have to do this when I would start to, because they, he'd say he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have anything. He, he needs to get in the house. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. And I would give him, I'd try to get a police officer $20 and he'd say, ma'am, I'm not going to take that because you don't need to do that. And had it not been for people like that and the Lord placing them in my life, I mean, I just felt like I was so broken. And so I was just, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't figure out up from down. I couldn't even figure out what had happened. I just felt blinded. Yeah. And so how did God really rescue you in the end? In the end, he rescued me. It took a lot of years. Um, after I had my son, a year after I had him, 13 months after I had him, um, he decided, um, my ex decided that he wanted to start seeing him and visitation started, supervised visitation, excuse me. Um, to this day, there's been 13 supervisors. Um, they never last more than a couple months at a time. I was going to court probably twice a month for several years just over the harassment through the court system because the VPO was in place and that was the only way that he could harass me because he did tell me if I left he would make my life H-E-L-L. -L. <laughs> he would. Um, you know and I think one of the things that and, and, and currently you're married. I am. In a good yes. marriage, healthy yes. marriage and, and God has really provided for you in that in that space. Uh, but I want to talk to you. Um, I want you to talk to the people out there who maybe um, are, first of all, let's talk to the people who, the women who might find themselves in this position. What are some encouragements that you would give them? You're never alone. The Lord is right there with you. You can, and so many times I would pray, I would cry out to him, and he provided the way out, and he will always provide the way out. He does not want anyone, he doesn't want anyone to stay in a relationship that there's 
there is mental abuse going on or there's physical abuse going on or both. That is not the way that he says things. That's not the way that he wants a marriage. That's not his picture of marriage or a relationship. And there is, there is hope. Right. Uh, what would you, um, what would you say to someone who has a family member, someone they love, that they recognize are in an abusive relationship? What would you say to them? Because, you know, usually people want to help. Like they want to do something maybe, but they just don't know what is the right thing to do. How do I help them? Or maybe they offer help and the abuse victim rejects that. So what do you say to those people? I say don't give up. I say that it's such a hard situation when someone's in that. I say pray to the Lord and that he will open that door. You always be there for them. You never, you always check in with them. You stay as close as possible to them because abusers will keep people, friends and family away from the person that they're abusing. And they do that in such tricky ways of manipulation. So don't give up on that person because there is, they need it. They need that support because when they don't feel like they have that support, they feel like they are stuck and they have to be there forever. And, and it doesn't have to be family. It can be friends. Right. It can be, you know, church. You know, there's all those, all, all kinds of places. Mm-hmm. Um, once, peop, once people, women get out of those in, in situations, um, for you, you were, you were in a series of them I for was. a while. Um, how did you recognize, how did you break that cycle? I knew that the Lord had delivered me once. And I knew that he showed me so much grace and that he had a plan for me. I had a dream many years ago when I was doing my counseling about um, my purpose and I couldn't believe it. It didn't seem real. And I always realized he had his hand on my life. And so I knew that he was there and he is faithful and that he promises to do a good work for, uh, for those of us who love him. And I held on to those promises during that and I felt like I went through a fire and I came out unburned. What would you say to somebody who maybe doesn't have a strong relationship with God that are in those kind of situations? I would say that um, it's never too late and that um, they could reach out to a friend or a family member who might have some more understanding um, or even walk into a church. You can go to a police station and people will help you. There are things, there are all kinds of things that uh, the Lord is everywhere. And he is there just waiting, and he will surround you and provide exactly who you need in your life during that period of time. Yeah. I think the biggest lie that most people believe is there's no way out. Right. And no one will help me. Mm-hmm. And, and you didn't find that to be true. I didn't, that was not true at all from the police station to the judge that granted the VPO, which today it's now a continual VPO, which means it will be forever. And, if, and so there are people and a detective that came into it, that they're just things that happened that are no other explanation except for the Lord about the way that everything has played out over, it's been, it was well over five years, six years. And the beautiful thing is God doesn't love you more than he loves any other person in your situation. And um, God is there. Right. And he wants you to know he's there. Yes. And uh, God will use people to help you, and that's a beautiful thing. Amber, thanks so much for sharing your story. Um, You know, if there is one final thing you could say to kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it, what would you say? I would just say Jesus loves you. Whoever you are, whoever's listening right now, whoever needs to hear that, Jesus loves you. 
and he is here and he will help you just don't give up so as you as we wrap up our podcast thanks for joining us i'm so happy that you decided to do that and and um, so you know it takes a lot of courage thanks for being brave thanks for sharing um you know just your story because i believe that God orders the steps of people who will hear this. And maybe they'll hear it five years from now, or maybe they'll hear it five days or at the day it's released. Right. But I, I just trust and I believe that God is going to send this podcast out to somebody who is, and it's, God is going to use it to give some girl strength. That is to my say, hope. I can, I can do this. And I think, you know, I, I think it's awesome that you're willing to share your story. I think it's it's interesting. I work with a lot of clients and I tell them, one day you'll tell your story and it won't hurt anymore. And that's how you know you're healed. And that's mm-hmm. where you're at. Yes. That's yes. where it's, you're at. It's you really beautiful. Yeah. And you don't live in constant fear. Right. And you're not constantly looking over your shoulder. And, um, and that, and you don't, you know, hide and seclude because you're afraid and that's such a wonderful wonderful gift and so uh, thanks for sharing uh i want to end my podcast in the ways that i always do with some what i call rapid fire questions okay all right not deep and theological just what comes off the top of your head and um so in 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 honor of of having a podcast where we've defeated fear what is something you're still afraid of Woo! That's a big question, Melissa. Um, today was definitely a step of being brave for me. Mm-hmm. Talking about my story and hoping and praying that it helps even just one person because that is where my heart is to know that that's where the Lord uses me. I want it to be all Him and that is very hard for me to step out and do this. Awesome. What is one talent you wish you had? To play the piano. <laughs> That's a common one. I've had several people say that. What's the best thing you've ever eaten? The best thing I've ever eaten? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, the best thing I've ever eaten. I think it's sushi in Hawaii. Ah, that sounds delicious. What's a perfect date night? A perfect date night is getting dressed up and turning your phones off. <laughs> I haven't experienced that yet. <laughs> and um, just giving each other undivided attention over, you know, dinner and, um, you know, maybe over like the lake, like looking over a lake or something and just and just learning about each other more because we can never stop learning about each other ever. That's for sure. Um, besides the Bible, best book you've ever read? Best book I ever read? I don't know. Okay, that's totally fine. <laughs> Aside from God uh, and aside from the Bible, who's teaching you the most about God right now? Aside from God, um, my church family that I am very blessed that um, the Lord just recently moved me and my family out to western Oklahoma and it was very unexpected and he is blessing us each and every day. There's a new blessing coming in with him and it's been amazing. That's awesome. And finally, this is the last question I ask everyone on my podcast. I know you've listened to some of the episodes, so you know the question already. But it's this. If you could say one thing and one thing only to make Jesus famous, what would you say? Jesus is everywhere. <laughs> he is everywhere. He is everywhere. That is the, that is the best part. You know, one of my favorite things about that is, 
is uh, we sing a lot of songs in church about when Jesus comes to us or when mm -hmm. God comes in the room or whatever. And the truth is, God is always there. He's always with us. Yes. And it's our focus, our attention on him. And sometimes I think we get that backwards because yes. Jesus is everywhere. Right. Well, Amber, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I will put uh, your social media contacts in the show notes. So in case a girl out there might just want to have some help, she could connect to you through social media. And uh, you, you have agreed that you would respond to those, uh, to anybody who reaches out to you and help yes. and, and has questions. Maybe they're a parent who wants to ask questions or a family member. Maybe they're a victim that wants to ask questions about how to get help. And, and so we'll put, well, the best way to contact Amber right now is through social media. And so we'll put those connections on the show notes so you can do that. And so uh, this is that time in my podcast when I ask for my trifecta of favors. First of all, uh, would it, whether you've listened to one podcast or 10 podcasts, maybe you haven't hit that subscribe button yet. Would you just take a moment and hit the subscribe button so all of the latest episodes come into your feed? Second of all, would you take a few moments and just give us a five-star rating on iTunes? It really does help our podcast bubble to the top so people can find it. And finally, would you share this podcast with your friends and invite them to come and listen to Amber's story and to the stories of the other people who join me on the show? Remember that sharing is caring, so share, share, share. Thanks for joining us today on the He Doesn't Waste a Thing podcast. We'll see you next time.